There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone, and I'm Wanda Wallace. And today we're going to be talking about etiquette. So whether you're networking, dining with clients, or meeting senior leaders, making small talk, or just trying to leave an impression with people around you, making sure they're more comfortable in your presence, ultimately, the way you interact leaves a lasting impression. So today we're going to do two parts. First, I want to focus on this networking thing and small talk. How can you make small talk with anyone? How do you graciously exit a conversation at a networking event? What's the appropriate etiquette? And then second, we're going to focus on the core skills for leaving others more comfortable in your presence. And I'm going to give you a heads up. In that segment, we're going to talk a good bit about the questions I get from clients when they say, what am I supposed to do in this situation? I don't want to be rude. And we're going to talk about those. So my guest today is Jody Smith. Jody has been promoting better behaviors since 1986, and she founded a company, Manners Smith, in 1996. She has an extensive background in motivational psychology and human resources, and she fundamentally believes that proper manners and etiquette are essential for functioning today, especially in today's corporate world. Jody's a nationally known etiquette expert. She's been on NBC Today Show, on Good Morning America, and on the CBS Early Show. She's been quoted in the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today. She's been a featured guest on a number of radio shows all over North America. And she's the author of three etiquette books. I'll cite one. It's called The Etiquette Book, A Complete Guide to Modern Manners. Jody, welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a, yeah, I'm thrilled about it. This is a great one. And what a good topic as we're you know kind of winding down the year and thinking about the next year coming. Let's start with this whole thing about small talk. An awful lot of people hate it. They, they just feel dread it. But you think it's important. Why? It's interesting because people will tell me the exact same thing they tell you, that they dread talking about the weather, they dread talking about sports, they hate small talk. And what I like to tell them is that small talk leads to big talk, that in business, one of the biggest mistakes that people can make is meeting someone and immediately asking to do business for a job, for a client, for a referral, that the same way that you would never walk into a bar, see someone you think is cute, walk up to them and ask to get married. You have to flirt with them. You have to go on a couple of dates. It's the same thing in business. Before we do business with anyone, we have to get to know them. The small talk leads to big talk. And we do business with people that we like. And small talk allows us to be likable. It's interesting. Um, Several years ago when I was doing research around women and advancement, and one of the things that I had never really quite fully appreciated is why all the men around would do the sports talk. I just, you know, what is it about sports? Not everybody is interested in, you know, and I knew a lot of men who were just not interested in sports themselves, but they would still engage in the sports talk. 
until one of my colleagues finally explained to me that what it does is it creates common ground. It just gives some neutral, easy thing to connect on that isn't a big deal. And is that what you mean by small talk? Absolutely. It's a warm-up before the real conversation. That's exactly what it is. Warm-up before the real conversation. I like that. Okay. So if we change our mind about it, maybe we're going to get better at it. So how can you advise people to get better at small talk? What can they do? Wonderful. So there's a couple of different things that they can do. The first thing that I recommend that people do is to pick their networking events carefully. If you're somebody who tends to be a little bit more introverted or you're a little bit um, shy when you're meeting new people, don't go to a major conference and walk into the cocktail party on the first night and expect to be able to make small talk with this entire giant ballroom full of people. Instead, look for Chamber of Commerce meetings or maybe smaller alumni night dinners. Find people, find places, find situations that you're going to be more comfortable. And then the second part is go prepared. If you don't want to talk about sports teams, if you don't want to talk about traffic, if you don't want to talk about the weather, have something at the ready. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be something as simple as, hi, I'm Jody Smith. I just read the most amazing book. And without telling you the title, the natural thing that anybody is immediately going to say once somebody says to you, I just read the most amazing book, is what book is it? And then instead of talking about sports, which I'm not into, I'm talking about books, which is something that I really like to talk about. Brilliant. Okay, so can you give us some other ideas? Because I get this question all the time. I don't want to talk about sports. I don't want to talk about wine. I don't want to talk about restaurants or food. And I'm stuck after that. So amazing books. Do you have any other ones? Well, you can talk about your hobbies, your interests. What I tell people is you want to be interesting. So if you say something like, I just got back from a wonderful trip, or if you ask them, what made you join this organization? Or have you heard this uh, guest speaker, this keynote speaker before? There's lots of ways for you to launch a conversation in a very easy way. One of the things that I like people to do is to reveal a little something about themselves first. So instead of me launching by asking you a question, which then oftentimes when not done properly ends up the the person that you're speaking with feels like they're being interrogated. So instead of asking you a question first, I'm going to reveal something about me. Um, and allow you to ask me a question or two before I find out more about you. So I might walk into a room and tell people, hi, I'm Jody Smith. I teach confidence. I never use my job title. Job titles tend to be a little bit on the dull side. But if I tell you I teach confidence, you're going to ask me a question. And the faster I can get you from being a passive participant to being an active participant, the more you're going to enjoy that conversation and the more you're going to like me. All right. So this sounds like it takes a little bit of preparation. So the notion is that I want to be able to reveal a small thing about myself, like I just read this most amazing book, or I help people solve problems of this particular type. We don't want a generic phrase. We want something interesting, like I teach confidence. And they have a natural question to ask, so they feel comfortable with you. Exactly. If you have elevator pitches, save those for when you're meeting with venture capitalists. Elevator pitches are way too long. What I like to call this is a snippet. 
you're going to have a snippet starter, a tiny piece of information about yourself that allows the other person to ask you a question. And it immediately launches that conversation from the names of the introduction into a topic that you're interested in, skipping over sports altogether. Okay, great. So when's the point at which I turn to the other person and say, so what about you? I mean, how do I lead to that part? What happens is the conversations are give and take. So it's just like playing a game of catch, having a conversation. So I'm going to tell a little bit about myself. And you can feel usually there's a little bit of a point in time where I've been talking a little bit too much about myself. And now it's time for me to say, but enough about me. Please tell me a little bit more about what you do or what brought you here. And it's perfectly fine for you to pivot the conversation that way. Ideally, now I don't want people setting timers on their cell phones. I want cell phones totally off and away. But ideally, most stand-up cocktail party type of conversations are going to be between about seven and 10 minutes. So when you feel that you've been talking for about that four to five minute mark, that's the time to then make sure that you're asking the other person about them, giving them a, a chance to highlight some of their intriguing points as well. Okay. All right. So now Jody related to this one. So it's a seven to 10 minute conversation. And I know a lot of people get in their comfort zone and it's 20 minutes later, but then that defeats the purpose of meeting a bunch of people at a cocktail party. Suppose I want to exit the conversation. What do you advise people to do? Yes. So the graceful exit, this is one of those things that even people who are really skilled networkers, people who have been doing this for many years oftentimes have a real problem at the end of the conversation. Um, There are three things that I never, ever want you to say because they don't leave a good, lasting impression. So once you hear them, I want you to immediately forget them. I call them the three Bs, the three things that you should never, ever say, number one, I'm going to the bathroom. You're a grown-up. You're a professional. You are not telling people this. Do not tell people you're going to the bathroom. Number two, don't tell people you're going to the bar. Hi, I'm Jody Smith. I'm an alcoholic. This is not information I need to share with them. But also, if they're insecure and they've attached to you, if you tell them I'm going to the bar, they say, oh, great, I'll come with you. And now you are trying to exit the conversation, and now they're still with you. So don't tell people you're going to the bar. And the third B is the, excuse me, there's someone over there I need to speak with. And I know you're thinking, Jody, there's no B in there. There's actually two implied Bs. The other person is much better and that you're really boring. And it could be that the person you're speaking to is incredibly boring and almost anybody in the room might be better. But you never want to make somebody feel less than at the end of a conversation. Number one, it's just not nice. But number two, we've all learned in the world of business, forget six degrees of separation. It's more like one and a half degrees of separation. So you want to be kind from beginning to end. So how do you exit the conversation? Very easily. If this is someone that you think you want to follow up with, standard American business practice, is this is when we would ask for a business card. May I have one of your business cards? If this is someone you like talking to, but you're probably not going to follow up with them, you simply say, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. You shake hands and you walk away. So the, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And if you're somebody who tends to be a little on the nervous side, you can say, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, if you'll excuse me. 
and then you're done. You're free to walk and talk to the next person. Wow, that's very simple. What if I don't like the person at all and I didn't like the conversation? What do I say then? Uh, you asked a great question. So I tell people, don't lie. You never want to lie. So in that situation, you can simply say, I hope you enjoy the rest of the event. Again, shake hands and walk away. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, and truthfully, honestly, if I'm not enjoying the conversation, probably the other person isn't enjoying the conversation either. So we all need to move on. Exactly. And now, for people who are in the, the 200 level of small talk, sometimes you're not enjoying the conversation because this is the wrong person for you to speak with. And if there's somebody else in the room who you know is interested in this topic, that you can then facilitate an introduction, that's a wonderful thing. So, for example, I'm, I've mentioned already I'm not terribly into sports, and if this person is talking on and on and on about the, the football game that's coming up, and I know that I have a colleague or I have somebody else who I've met along the way who is in the room who loves football, it's a wonderful thing for me to say, you know, there's someone I would love to introduce you to. Will you walk with me? He's right over here. I go over. I facilitate the introduction. I allow them to both enjoy a conversation, and I get the networking bonus points for connecting to people who will enjoy speaking with each other. But if you're not enjoying the conversation, after about three minutes, you can then move them along or move yourself along. Okay. All right. I like that one. So we've got this kind of rough time frame of seven to ten minutes. I've got the notion that I want to reveal something about myself that makes me interesting, not boring, like here's my job title or um, I've been working at this company for 15 years or something. i got to have something interesting about me that leads the other person to ask a natural question. And then we're going to talk for a couple minutes, and then it's my turn to turn to them. And after about seven to ten minutes, we're ready to say goodbye. So to repeat the three things to say is, one, if I want to follow up with them, go to have your business card. I'd like to follow up with you. And then you shake hands and say goodbye. And if I like talking to you, but I don't necessarily want to follow up, I say, hey, it's been a pleasure talking with you. If you'll excuse me, maybe not without the latter one. And then the third one, last case scenario is, hey, I hope you enjoy the rest of the event. Okay? And always the option of facilitating another conversation. All right, so now I want to talk about this because we create, we do small talk, but what we're really looking for in small talk is making a bit of a connection, a very simple, easy connection of something we'd like both like to talk about. I've watched people who are just absolute masters at this, and remembering a sales guy in particular who said he could, in less than five minutes, he said two actually, find any connection with anybody anywhere, and I put him to the test and he did it. He's just very natural at finding something the other person is going to talk about, and he gets there really quickly. So how do we get to be that kind of person? Well, that's, that's certainly an ideal, but it's not necessarily a reality. You don't have to be that good. If somebody is, that's wonderful. Not everybody is that intuitive about picking up on what people like to talk about. And so you simply can ask questions like, when you're not at work, what do you do for fun? What was the best vacation you ever took? You can ask these questions about things that you know tend to be on the positive side. And then by listening to the answers, you're able to glean 
from that conversation where you should go, how you should move forward in that conversation. Okay. I confess that's my favorite one. What do you do for fun? Because usually it draws out the passionate side of the other person. And, um, you know, I often get responses like, well, I don't ever have any time. And I say, so if you did have time, what would you be doing? And, you know, it doesn't take long before you have some interesting conversation going. Any other advice for making connection? Yeah, so it's an interesting um, opportunity if you ever have the chance Um, If you're running a conference or if you have a new group of people who are coming together for the first time to do as an icebreaker, to have everybody look around the room, to look for the person that is the most different from them. And then you have them pair up with the person they think is most different and you have them write down all the ways that they're different. And then you ring a little bell and you say, okay, same person. Now I want you to figure out all the ways that you're the same I've been using this as an icebreaker in different situations for years and across the board every single time, even when people choose the person that seems the most different from them, they always end up finding more things they have in common than things that they had that are different. So once you know that, once you know that as human beings, we all have likes, we all have hopes, we all have dreams, when you walk into the networking event, you can walk in with that as a mindset, you know you're going to find something in common with somebody else. It's just a matter of having the conversation to find it. Oh, I love that. And I love that exercise. I'm going to try that one. So it's the sense of getting comfortable that with anybody, we have similar likes, hopes, and dreams, ambitions. I don't know, a whole host of things. And once I know that, then I have the confidence to talk to people. All right. Um, So any other rules you want to share with us about networking and small talk? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I encourage people to start with the, the low-hanging fruit. Look for the small wins. If you're trying to get better at networking, look for smaller events, look for breakfast meetings, look for conferences where you're put at a table with people and start practicing. Networking is one of those things. Having conversations. We do not emerge from the womb knowing how to have a good conversation. It's something that we learn about over time. And so by practicing at it and by thinking about it and by saying, okay, I went to this event and these two conversations went really well and these two conversations did not go so well. Or I find that I like the events that um, are lunchtime networking events as opposed to cocktail party events. Find what works for you. There are lots and lots of different ways that you can network. If you don't like going to the cocktail parties at all, then network one-on-one. Start with your manager. Say, is there somebody else in this organization that I should speak with? Start with the mentor that you have. Who else in our industry should I have a conversation with? And set up a coffee meeting, set up a lunch meeting, set up a telephone conversation with just that one other person. You don't have to make your rounds. You don't have to be a politician at these cocktail parties if that's not your thing. So first look inward and think about how you like to network. Then I want you to look a little bit outward and have a goal. You don't have to go to a networking event every single day or even every week, but you probably, if you're a professional, you should probably going to be going to at least a networking thing every month. And so set out, we're at the end of the year, we're about to start a brand new year. From January to December, I'm going to choose at least one networking event, a networking activity that I'm going to do every single month. 
And when you go, have a goal for each one of those. Maybe in January, if you're a new networker, my goal is to go to the event, meet three new people, and then I'm going to leave. In February, okay, now I'm going to go, I'm going to meet three new people, and I'm going to follow up with one of them. In March, I'm going to meet four new people and follow up with two of them. Don't start off running a marathon. Start off with baby steps. Do little things in order to build up to having a network and building those relationships and feeling more comfortable. Okay, and so again, a reminder, it could be a big networking event, it could be a very small networking event, it could be a one-on-one, so lots and lots and lots of choices in there. I like your notion of a goal and just every month do something simple that moves you forward. Now, Jody, when I'm networking internally, so my manager has said, Wanda, you need to meet this person. Is small talk just as important in that conversation as it is at a cocktail party? Absolutely. You still want to be able to have that good small talk because we do business, we choose, we promote, we interact with people that we like. And so this is a great chance for you to be likable. And you just need to know that it's a slightly different type of conversation. So if somebody refers you internally before you go into that conversation, take a few minutes and write down the questions. Okay, I'm going to be meeting this person. They're a founding partner. Okay, I'm going to be meeting this person. They're a managing director. Okay, I'm meeting this person. They're the plant operation manager. Let me write down between four and five questions so that I can ask them things that are going to be useful to me, both in my job as well as in my career. So go prepared. Don't go in cold just thinking you're going to think of, talk about sports the whole time. This is your chance to do a little bit of the warm-up small talk and then ask them some serious questions that are going to be beneficial to you moving forward in your career. Okay. All right, I love it. That's a fabulous one. So I've got a little bit of small talk. I often say to people, too, the amount of small talk you do is dependent on the person you're meeting. Some want to do a lot. Some want to do a little bit. So you got to kind of, you know, time it. And then you have to come prepared with four or five questions. That's fabulous. Let me ask you one more question before we take a break. And that is, suppose I'm trying to break into a conversation and the people are talking to each other. And there's someone in that group maybe I want to meet. But you know how sometimes people stand very close together? It's often hard to get into a conversation with a group. What's your advice on breaking into a conversation? Uh, Wonderful. I'm glad you asked this question. So there's a couple of different things you can do. So first off, sort of as a guideline on the ground floor, when you're in these types of small talk, stand-up, cocktail party conversations, ideally, you want to be talking with just one other person. You never want to be in a group because if you're in a group, there's really two people having a conversation and a lot of people just nodding their heads. So ideally, you're always going to be a one-on-one. I know that doesn't always happen. So let's say there's somebody, there's a target, there's somebody that you really wanted to be able to meet. And of course, the, the person that you want to meet is somebody generally that everybody else wants to meet as well. So there's a lot of other people nearby. So what you're going to do is, you're first of all, you're going to stand with confidence. You want shoulders back, head up. You want to look like somebody that they're going to want to interact with. Then you're going to vulture where they are, that conversation, to see if as you get closer, as you walk by, they look up and make eye contact with you. If the two people having the conversation, their heads are down, they're standing close together, they're leaning in towards each other, they're not making any eye contact with other, any other people, you're going to have to wait. 
But if you can get the other person to look up, make eye contact with you, and you smile and they smile back at you, that's an invitation to be able to join the conversation. And one of my favorite, favorite etiquette phrases is, I hate to interrupt, but, because that's exactly what you're doing, I hate to interrupt, but... I loved hearing you speak at the conference earlier today. I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to take a moment to introduce myself. I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to be able to ask you a quick question. So once they've made eye contact and returned your smile, that's inviting you in. So that's the first way. The second way is a slightly more complicated situation where you need a wingman. So the the person that you'd like to speak with, this is your networking target, they're having an intense conversation with somebody else. You have a wing person. It can be gender nonspecific. You have a wing person. You get closer to where they are. You say, I hate to interrupt, but, and at the same time, your wing person gets the attention, makes an introduction to the person they were speaking with. So that then frees the person you're trying to speak with up because their previous conversational partner is now speaking to your wing person. Okay, Jody, I have learned a lot in this one. This is amazing. So I like this idea that I really do want to be talking one-to-one. I may have a bunch of people standing around, but I want to be having one-to-one conversations because that's where the connections are going to come from. And I like this idea of being able to interrupt Because what I'm looking for is the other person to look up and make eye contact with me and return a smile. And then some appropriate sentence, like I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to talk to you about something you said in your speech or so on. And then this clever one of having a wing person who, when I make eye contact with my target, they make eye contact with the other person and we sort of pull them apart. That's fabulous. I love it, Jody. Thank okay, you. We're going to take a break, um, and when we come back, I want to talk about how to make sure that you're leaving people feeling more comfortable. And in particular, we want to talk about some of those things that happen at work that we want to try to tackle. With me today is Jody Smith. Her company is Manners Smith, and the book is The Etiquette Book, A Complete Guide to Modern Manners. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone, 
To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Jody Smith. and Jody is a, an expert in manners and helping people present themselves in the proper etiquette and in the right way, leaving the right impression. She's um, known as an etiquette expert. She's been on the NBC Today show, the Good Morning America show, CBS Early show. She's been quoted in Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and been on a number of radio shows uh, in the U.S. and in Canada. And she's the author of three books on the etiquette. We've just been talking about the importance of small talk as a way of leaving a good impression with people that you meet and the importance of meeting new people. And as Jody says, and I totally wholeheartedly agree, we do business with people we like. So we want to give people feeling good about the conversations they've had with us. So I want to turn now more towards the inside the company interactions that you have in a regular ongoing basis and how is it that you can do those interactions that leave people feeling more comfortable with you so Jody what's this about and what do we need to be doing Uh, yes this is about your professional persona and what I recommend is that you look at the ABC's your attire your behavior and your communication your attire the way that you dress the clothing that you wear signals to other people how you want to be treated. So when you're in a professional situation, you want to dress professionally. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to wear a three-piece suit and a tie if you're working at a software company, but you want to make sure that for your industry, for your role within the company, that you are dressed professionally. Your behavior, the things that you might do or the things that you might say outside of the office, are not necessarily the things that you should be doing inside the office. So I always want people in their professional persona to be their best self. Okay. All right. So give me an example of what you mean by behavior and being your best self. So what would I say and what wouldn't I say, for example? So, for example, things like when you have a meeting being on time. So you want to make sure that you're respectful of other people's time. If you have a 10 o'clock meeting, you want to be there a couple minutes before 10 o'clock so that the people in the conference room are not waiting on you. Um, When you do, eventually, sometimes there's always going to be something that happens. Another meeting ran late. The plane didn't land on time. Whatever, you are going to be late. That when you walk in, you're not disruptive to the people that are there, that you apologize for being late. But don't bother offering any explanation because that diverts the meeting from the problem at hand, from the situation that they're dealing with, onto you, instead being able to move forward. Um, The same thing with your communications, the things that you might say to your best friend or to your spouse or to one of your sorority sisters or fraternity brothers are not the same things you should be sharing in the office. In the office, I like to have boundaries. I have things that I keep on my personal life and then things that I keep in my professional life. And I'm very careful about where those boundaries happen to be. So give me an example of a boundary that you would recommend. 
Okay, so let's say my spouse and I travel um, away for a weekend. It's supposed to be a romantic getaway. Um, there, it's a bed and breakfast. It's beautiful. There's a fireplace in the room. I tell my partner that uh, the fireplace is purely decorative. My partner decides to try to light a fire. The smoke is billowing into the room. The small town fire department has to show up. Too much information in the office. This is a great story that I can tell my friends when we're out for a glass of wine. But if somebody asks, how was your weekend? I can say, I had a lovely weekend. My partner and I went away for the weekend. We had a great time. So you want to think about where those lines, where those boundaries are. Somebody says, hey, how are you? I'm fine. I'm great. I'm doing well. Your mother asks, how are you? Then you can say, oh, I'm having a little sciatica. My back is hurting. Really think about the information that you're sharing about yourself. There should be a line, a boundary line between your professional life and your personal life. And you want to make sure that in the workplace that you're your own best PR agent and that you're not giving off information that is going to counteract or set your professional persona off balance. Okay. So... So it's not that I am not saying anything about my personal life. It's just that I'm not divulging too much information about it. So I can say I had a weekend with my partner, but I don't have to tell all the details about it. I hold that for my best friends. Okay? Exactly. All right. So, and I like this notion, every company I deal with has the worst etiquette possible about being on time. People tend to think that five minutes after the appointed time is when you should get up from your desk and start walking to the elevator to get to the meeting room, and that means that every meeting is 10 or 15 minutes late. Some people don't see that as a problem. Some people get quite upset by it. What's your advice if I'm running that meeting? How do I get people in the room on time? Wonderful question. So there's a couple of different things. So culturally, each corporation has its own corporate culture, and that usually comes down from the top. And so if an organization wants to start having meetings on time, the people at the tippy-tippy top of the organization, the highest-ranking person for that meeting, needs to be there on time. And what happens is if you have the managing director, if you have the CEO, if you have the COO being on time for the meeting – Suddenly, everybody else is on time as well. And you want, once you have the important people in the room, you start the meeting on time. Um, now, we don't always have control over everybody else's behavior, but if I'm in charge of the meeting, this is a meeting that I'm calling, I'm going to do a couple of tricky little things. So the couple of little hints that I have is, number one, I call the meeting for 10 after. If I know everybody is coming late, I'm going to say our meeting starts at 10 after 3, but we are really starting at 10 after 3. So everybody, please make sure that you're there by 10 after 3 and really start on time. And when you start scheduling meetings, don't schedule them for on the hour for the full hour. If I'm starting my meeting at 10 o'clock, my meeting is going to go from 10 o'clock until 1045 leaving the people in the meeting the ability to have 15 minutes to check their cell phones, to look at email, to respond to telephone calls, and get themselves to the next place. Because if we book the meeting from 10 until 11, then we suddenly fill up all of that space, which brings me to the third point, which is I'd like to go into meetings with a PAL, a purpose, an agenda, and a limit, a time limit. And I send that out in advance so that people know that when someone's coming to a meeting that I'm running, that there's a reason that they're in the meeting, 
They know what that purpose is. They know why they're in that meeting. There's an agenda. And if somebody wants airtime during the meeting, they don't just get to talk to fill space. They have to send me their agenda item and be on the agenda. And there's a time limit. They know that when we're done 40, 45 minutes into the meeting, that's it. If we haven't covered the information, it's going to have to wait for the next meeting or we're going to have to follow it by email. Great. I love that one. So when you call the meeting, call the meeting for 10 minutes after the hour and with the statement, we're going to start on time because I'm acknowledging that your organiza- this organization starts late, but we're going to start that way. Not using the full hour so that you leave time for people to get from one place to the next or check their emails. That's a really important one. And the third one, I love the PAL, the purpose, the agenda, and a limit, meaning we're going to stop on time and we'll carry over to some other medium to get there. Okay, Jody, let's turn to some of the challenging questions I get from people all the time. And I want to know from an etiquette point of view, what's your advice? So let's start with this. Suppose I have a different opinion from my peer. And we're sitting in a meeting. And, you know, it's getting a little heated. It's clear that it matters to both of us. Not that we're yelling and screaming or anything, but there's a little bit of tension. What's your advice for how to handle that one? Because I don't want to give in all the time. And at the same time, I don't want to make somebody angry with me and create an enemy either. So how can I handle myself? Yes. So the, the first question you want to ask yourself is, does the decision need to be made right now? Because what happens is oftentimes we get into these heated arguments and we're unable to see beyond our own point of view, especially when we have an audience because it's a meeting and other people are there as well. If we don't need to make that decision right then and there, I will actually recommend, you know what, it sounds like Wanda and I need to have a side conversation and we'll report back to everybody tomorrow or next week. That way, it gives me a couple of different things. Number one, it gives me a chance to calm down and to rethink my point. Number two, it gives me a chance to research what it is that you're saying to make sure that the information that you're using to validate your assumptions and your decisions is correct. It could be that you know something that I don't know, that I haven't looked at the um, manufacturing reports, or I haven't looked at where the stock market is going, that I can find out more information. I also have the advantage is that I already know what your position is, And so once I know your position, if given a little bit of time, I can then come up with alternatives that either incorporate your position or effectively refute that position so that we're able to move forward. And then the last thing is that when we get upset as human beings, when we're upset, we have a physiological response. We do get a little bit of an adrenaline rush going through our system. And when we have the adrenaline running through our system, we can't hear what other people are saying. So I've gotten upset. I can't hear you. You've gotten upset. You can't hear me. We need a little bit of time to calm down. And by tabling it until we can have a conversation later gives us both a chance to reset before going in and having a conversation with each other. Okay, now what if this is a decision that, so if it is a decision that we're not going to need to make right now, then we just need to sideline it. So just something along the lines of let's you and I have a conversation separately on the side and we'll go back to the group. Great way to do it. And I can do that almost regardless how angry I am in the meeting. But what if it's, if I'm getting pressed for a decision right now? Any advice in that scenario? 
Yes, so what I will do is I'll say, so what I hear you saying is, and I'll try to paraphrase their point of view. And what, as I'm paraphrasing their point of view, instead of saying but, I will say and. So what I'm hearing you say is yada, 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 and I want to make sure that the client is taken care of. Therefore, we should handle it this way this time. It gives them less of a chance to object to it because I validated what it is that they've been saying. It, it tends to work unless you have somebody who's a really savvy individual. It tends to make the person feel validated and heard and tends for you to be able to get your way. It's a lovely diplomatic skill. All right. I, will, I believe that that's a universal, the ability to paraphrase what you've heard from somebody else. So I want to say what I hear you saying is and synthesize what I've heard. And then I want to do a connection, and that connection needs to be the word and, not the word but, because the word but refutes everything that came before it and raises defenses. So and, I want to recommend we handle it this way, this time, also makes it easier. It's not an ongoing precedent necessarily. Okay, fabulous. Let's go to a different scenario. Suppose this difficult conversation is with a client where I have to deliver a message the client really doesn't want to hear. How do I go about doing that? Yes, so this is one of my favorite ones to talk about. And what I recommend is that you always give the client a choice. The clients love to have a choice. And the example that I give is being strategic, and it has nothing to do with business. But I promise, once you hear the example, you'll be able to adapt it to whatever your situation is. So I have, my sister has um, two little twin boys. And when my nephews were little, I would take pity on my sister and I would take the boys for the afternoon to give her a little bit of a break. So here I have twin three-year-old boys. We've run around, we've had lunch. After lunch, what should happen with twin three-year-old boys? They should take a nap. Now, if you ask twin three-year-old boys, would you like to take a nap? The answer is universally no. So I realize that I have to give them a choice. I give them a choice. Would you like Auntie Jody to read you a story before nap, or would you like me to sing you a song before nap? Now I've given them a choice. And they think they're tricking me by saying we want one of them wants a story, one of them wants a song, but what I wanted was for them to take a nap. So when you have a client, you need to think about how can I give them a choice so they feel like they have some control over the situation, but I am going to be happy. I'm going to be able to accommodate either option that they choose. So the client wants something done um, by early next week. Well, they've only paid you a certain amount. So the choice is I can have it done by Friday of next week at the price that I've currently quoted you. Or if you'd like it done by Tuesday at noon, I'd be happy to do you do that for you, but there's a small service fee that's going to be attached. Please let me know which one you prefer. That way they feel like they have some control over that decision. If only that works so well with your manager. I like that, Sunita. <sighs> Um, It's interesting that you mentioned it with the manager, if I can just jump in real quick, because oftentimes we are presented with a manager who's giving us competing priorities. We only have so many hours in the day, and the manager wants everything done. 
unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. So for you to be able to go into your manager and say to them, I have this much time in my workday, I can finish this, this, and this. Is this the order that you'd like me to address these things? So as soon as I'm done with this one, I can start in on this one. So that the manager, when you don't get to the the fourth thing down on the list, understands that they had a conversation with you about where your priorities lie. And for most level-headed managers, this will work. Occasionally, you'll have a manager that wants everything done all the time, and that's another conversation for a whole other radio show. Well, I'm going to have you come back and help with that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot in the news now about people making, oh, various jokes or statements that make people uncomfortable. So suppose I hear a conversation, and I'll even give you a quote I've heard recently, where it wasn't directed at me, but it was a comment about, well, you know, the, that female client over there is fairly tricky to deal with, and it just makes me uncomfortable. What should I do in that situation? Do I call them out? Do I not say anything? I mean, how do I handle it when I feel like the comment or the statement has been slightly inappropriate? You know, it's one of those things that so much of it is situationally specific. And clearly, if this is someone who works in your organization, you never want to make somebody in your organization look bad in front of a client. So you don't want to necessarily call them out in front of the client. But it is fine for you to circle back with them later on and say, you know, Bob, when we were talking about the female client that we're working with, you said that she can be really tricky. And I know you and I work with you and I know that you have a good respect for all sorts of different people. But I was afraid that if somebody else heard you say that, they would not think the best of you. So what did you really mean when you said that? Wow, what a lovely way to say it. I'm afraid if someone else heard you, they wouldn't think the best. What did you really mean? Wow, I like that one. And even if they really meant it in a snide, misogynist, racist way, you've at least put them on notice that you heard them. And hopefully we're at a point right now where that alone, the fact that you are pointing out to them that you heard what they said and what they meant should be enough to give them pause for the next time they have a comment like that. Fabulous. What a great strategy. All right, now let's go to a different one because you're on a roll here, Jody. I'm liking this one. What if there's a comment that's made that undermines me or my confidence? And sometimes that's intentional, sometimes it's purely accidental, and I'm embarrassed now. What can I do about that? I, it, it depends. It really depends. I'd need some more specifics. In general, when somebody says something that embarrasses me, I will apologize for um, whatever it is that I did um, that caused them to call me out. And I find that unlike some situations, so there are, when women speak, we tend to say I'm sorry when there's a point that we should not say I'm sorry. But when we're embarrassed by saying I'm sorry that I handled it that way, I'm sorry that it came across that way, This is actually an empowerment move because by acknowledging it and owning whatever it is that's happened, I now take power, I take control back of the situation. So I'm not going to grovel about the apology, but I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry about that. How can we move forward? 
and move the conversation along away from whatever it is. Now, if it's with a client, with a, with a boss, after the situation has, passed, has moved on, we've passed by it, I will take a moment to do a self-reflection. Did I do something inappropriate? Did I do something wrong? And especially if it, now I'm out of the meeting, for me to talk one-on-one with somebody who I trust who is also in the situation to see if I'm reading the situation correctly or whether I really did have a misstep that needs to be uh, resolved or taken care of. Okay. I have a client who says when someone's in a meeting and they start yelling at her, and in some ways their behavior is inappropriate, but she does exactly what you say. She says, I'm sorry, clearly I said something that upset you, and that wasn't my intent. Yes, and one of the tricks that I love when somebody is yelling at you is to talk quietly because what happens is when someone's yelling, they expect you to respond in kind, and if you start talking firmly but softly, oftentimes they'll have to stop screaming in order to hear what you're saying. Does tend to bring the temperature down. Okay, we just got a couple minutes, and I have to ask one more question. How do you break into a conversation? People feel like they're cutting people off, and yet sometimes if you don't jump in, you can't get in anywhere. How do you do that? So if you're in a meeting and you're finding that you are constantly having a situation where you can't get a word in edgewise, you need to find an ally in the room, somebody else who is also um, going to be going to these meetings and talk to them and say, listen, Wanda, every time I'm in the meeting with the executive director, she cuts me off. I have something that I need to say in the meeting. Here's what it is. Here's where I'm going with it. When I start talking, when she cuts me off, if you could jump in and echo me, um, that would be incredibly helpful. And I'd be happy to do the same for you the next time you're trying to bring something forward and she's cutting you off as well. So find an ally, find a partner, find somebody, and start echoing each other in order to make sure that you're heard. I love that, Jody. It's a fabulous advice. Now, unfortunately, we are running out of time. So with me today is Jody Smith. Jody's company is Manners Smith. She's the author of three etiquette books, and she's an etiquette expert, as you can see. What fabulous advice for how to handle yourself in some fairly tricky situations. I think my favorite of all of this one has to do with when you have to give bad messages or a a difficult message to give people a choice so that you could accommodate either option, but it still makes people feel like they have some control. And I love the notion of saying to your manager, I can finish this, this, and this today. Is this the order you want? What a great piece of advice. Jody. thank you for being a guest. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Awesome. Join us next week to get additional advice on how you can lead when you're outside your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.